Thank you for tuning in to The Right Stuff, a show about readers and writers for readers and writers. I am Rachel A.G. Gilman, a writer, wanderer, and also your humble host. Each week, I will be speaking with a new writer, and then they'll give us a special reading of their work. So let's get started. Today, I'm joined by Sheila Orfano. We met this year in Stephen Reinhardt's class, Crafting Short Fiction, and after workshopping two of her pieces, I can say I am very fond of her work. Sheila is a senior at NYU's Gallatin School, concentrating on the links between fiction writing and the religious experience. She has also completed a minor in business studies and hopes to establish a career in book publishing. She is originally from Los Angeles, California. Thanks for coming in, Sheila. Thank you for having me. So how did you get interested in writing? I just read a lot as a kid and wanted to give it a try myself. I started out actually writing Harry Potter fan fiction, so (laughs) then I started moving on to my own stuff. (laughs) What's your process like? I guess I just get it out. The hardest part for me is starting something, so once I get that first sentence, I just write for a few hours, look at what I've written, hate it for a second, and then start the editing process, which is 10 times harder. Is there one piece of advice that you would give anyone who is interested in writing? I guess just do it, read a lot, and then try to copy what you read, and then form all the different writers that you're reading into your own voice. Make it your own. Speaking of writers, is there a book or an author who has changed your perspective on writing? Yeah, um, I guess the Harry Potter series, J.K. Rowling, um, and C.S. Lewis was were two big influences in my life, um, both as a reader and as a writer. So, which is funny because I don't really write fantasy, but I love reading fantasy. But I write realistic fiction. So what are you going to read for us today? It's uh, one of the stories that we actually workshopped in our class. It's my most recent one. It's called On a Sunday Morning. It's a short story that I've been working on lately. Jerry kissed me for the first time the night before he died. It wasn't like I didn't know what happened. The kiss, I mean. Because the entire seventh grade had been buzzing about Jerry's crush on me all week and how he was finally going to do something about it at the parish fiesta. William told Robert, who told Dennis C., who whispered it to Dennis V. in the back of math class. Then Dennis V. passed it on to the girls by telling Nancy in their carpool, and Nancy called her best friend Kimberly, who was already on the phone with me. I found out four seconds after Kimberly took me off call waiting. Jerry and I sat on opposite sides of our religion classroom, so the note he sent had been folded and refolded many times before it got to me. Below the crude drawing of Miss Ortega's head on a T-Rex added by Dennis V., Jerry had written, Nora, save me a ride on the Ferris wheel on Saturday. I wrote back. Okay. On the corner of a busy intersection was Our Lady of Peace Parish, a small church with a large congregation and a bell in its bell tower that could no longer ring. Its parking lot was a long stretch of cracked asphalt that glittered in the sun, where after mass kids would weave between beat-up sedans and gray-blue Camrys while their parents idled in front of their cars, making lunch plans. Across the parking lot was the school. Our Lady of Peace school was shaped like a backwards, upside-down F, held together by fading bricks and chipping poles painted blue. In the small outdoor space between the F's upper and lower prongs was the statue of the Virgin Mary, a flagpole rising up behind her that the pre-K to third graders would use as base when they played tag before the bell rang and they had to line up for class. The tail of the F, 
hanging beside a field and some basketball courts and an island of lunch benches, housed the library, the computer lab, and the 4th to 8th grade classrooms. Everyone called it the big kid's side. This is where most of the 7th graders were that Saturday night, away from the noise and lights of the fiesta. We thought we were too old for the balloon dart boots, too cool to talk to our mothers volunteering in the food stalls, too tired of the same rides carted into the church lot. So we sat in the deserted tail of the F, on the shore of a dark sea of parked cars, pretending to have fun. Jerry and the rest of the boys were clustered together, Dennis V. telling them about the R-rated horror movie he'd snuck into with his older brother, the third final destination. I was surrounded by all the girls, wondering when Jerry would ask me to ride the Ferris wheel. I was wearing a red dress I usually only put on for church. It made me stand out, my bare legs alone in a circle of dark denim. I had changed at home three times, from the dress to jeans and back to the dress, until my mom threatened to leave without me if I took any longer. I kept fidgeting as I sat next to Kimberly and Nancy, pulling the hem down over my knees. Dennis V. was reaching the climax of the movie, on his toes with his arms stretched high, when Jerry broke out of the boy group and tapped me on the shoulder. I couldn't look at him when he asked, staring down at his shifting feet and tucking a strand of hair behind my ear, but I nodded my head yes. We walked away to giggling and whispers in the distinct echoing pound of Dennis V.'s cop. On a makeshift stage, a woman wearing deep red lipstick and bright ruffles danced around a blindfolded man clanging machetes together, the quick beat of a trumpet matching their steps. I led the way through the cheering crowd and Jerry leaned forward, said into my ear so I could hear above the din, I bet I could do that. I tried to turn around to answer him and stumbled into our gym coach. Before I could say, I'm sorry, Miss Cooley, Jerry grabbed me by the wrist and we ran away. We darted past the ring toss in the prize room and the game with the magnetic fishing rods that no one ever played because no one ever won. We stopped at the sweet tooth booth and he asked me if I wanted popcorn. I told him I was fine, but he fished four tickets out of his pocket anyway and handed them to Dennis V's older sister. While we waited as she scooped popcorn into a striped bag, I looked around, up the row of food boots ending with a Virgin Mary statue. The lines were long because it was nearing time for dinner and the smells of smoky kebabs and acidic salsa and chili-seasoned beef patties on a grill thick in the air. Jerry's mom waved at us from behind the Filipino food booth, but he pretended not to notice. When we finally inched our way up to the front of the Ferris wheel line, I dug into my mini purse to find tickets, but Jerry had handed the operator enough for two. We both clambered into a red car. The operator smelled like smoke when he leaned in to check our safety bar. He stepped back and flipped a switch, and we rose slowly into the air. It was nice of Miss Werner not to give us homework. I looked away from my tight grip on the safety bar, knuckles framing my distorted reflection, and turned towards him. With his head tilted downward and his eyes peering up, he appeared to be forcing himself to keep his gaze on me. We were two cars away from the top. Yeah, Miss Ortega is still making us do our Satan essay drafts, though. Can you believe that? The quiet, heavy whir of the Ferris wheel start restarted, and the dangling legs above us disappeared. One more and we'd be at the top where Kimberly told me it would happen. You look really pretty tonight. I fiddled again with the hem of my dress, crumpling it up, then smoothing it out again. The material slid easily through my fingers. I was glad I had worn it. My cheeks warmed, but my dark skin hid my blush. Thanks. The Ferris wheel was small, kid-friendly. Most of the other riders were younger students, and I recognized Kimberly's little sister in line, waiting to get on. Our Lady of Peace had had a different kind once, a Ferris wheel with cages for cars that spun captives upside down while it rotated through the air. I was a fourth grader then, my first year on the big kid's side, 
my first time on a big kid ride. Nancy, who had gone on it with me, promised not to tell anyone I had cried the whole time. Two kids threw up, ten parents complained. None of us ever saw that Ferris wheel again. The ride was facing the upper prong of the F, our view even in the second-to-highest car just a faded brick wall. I could hear the kindergartners squealing in the bouncy house beside us, older kids shrieking on the scrambler across the lot. The high-pitched music of the trumpet floated through the air from the other side of the wall. The blindfolded man with machetes and the woman with colorful skirts were probably still dancing. The Ferris wheel came alive again, and we reached the top. The brick wall fell away as we rose up, and suddenly we could see everything. My mom was sitting at a table beside my dad, both eating off styrofoam plates. Dennis V's older sister was handing the parish priest, Father Alexander, a large pink puff of cotton candy at the sweet tooth booth. The dancers were taking a bow, the man's eyes no longer obscured, the sound of the trumpet replaced by applause. And far off, away from the bustling fiesta, sat the seventh graders, loitering in the F's tail. Jerry shifted on the plastic seat next to me. Nora? When I turned to him, he was already leaning closer, eyes closed and lips puckered. I instinctively bent away, scared of what he looked like, but he didn't notice and kept tilting forward. I shut my own eyes. On Saturday night, at the Our Lady of Peace Fiesta in the seventh grade, Jerry's lips touched mine at the top of the Ferris wheel. I liked Jerry because he was a starter on the basketball team and because he sat next to me in math. I liked him because there were only 30 people in our class, and he was the boy I talked to the most. I liked him because he told Miss Ortega I was the Mary to his Joseph and whispered funny things to me while we acted out the nativity scene at the Christmas Mass. I liked him for all the reasons why anyone likes anyone in the seventh grade. The ride started to move again. The bulbs that lined the complicated crisscross of bars in the center of the wheel hurt my eyes as we descended, and the scent of the operator seemed stronger now. We walked back through the fiesta, past the food booths, past the resting dancers, past my mom while she wasn't looking so she couldn't see Jerry holding my hand, back to the tail of the F, where all our friends were waiting. My favorite time to go to church was during fiesta weekend. The mingling sense of food drifted through the heavy wooden doors, and I could hear from my pew through breaks and songs the grumbling of the rides as they woke for the day. Father Alexander only gave one-minute homilies and handed out ride tickets at the end of the Mass. I liked it the most, though, because that was the only time my friends came. On a regular Sunday, the church was filled with the elderly, young families struggling to keep their babies from crying, a few visiting nuns from the local convent, and me. But a fiesta Sunday was like Easter— the pews overflowed with people, dads relegated to standing on the sides, and classmates whispering excitedly to each other across the center aisle. During communion, I saw Kimberly and Nancy, Dennis C. and Dennis V., acting reverent as they processed by my pew but, looking, but poking me when they passed. I waited for Jerry to come up the aisle, pictured him guiding his little brother towards the altar as my throat tied in with jitter, jitters, until the last host was served and Father Alexander was reciting the closing prayer. The whispers started amongst the moms first, cooking frantically in hot boots to serve the after-church lunch rush. Did you hear? How awful. Driving drunk? Asleep in the back seat. Then when Dennis V. went up to the Mexican food booth and asked his mom to slide her favorite son an extra tamale, tears formed in the corners of her eyes and Dennis V. asked, ¿Qué pasa? Kimberly and Nancy were in line for hamburgers, but they left to spread the news as soon as Dennis V. told them. It made it to every kid in our 7th grade class even trickled up to a few 8th graders and down to a couple 6th graders, before it got to me. It was Dennis V. who hugged me, crying, telling me he's sorry, Nora, but Jerry's dead. 
He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. It was Dennis C. who handed me a keychain in the shape of a cowboy boot, saying Jerry gave this to me, but he would want you to have it. He would. He would. He would. It was Miss Ortega who came to us, abandoning the ring toss booth, telling us to forget about the saint essay. Just pray and pray and pray. It was me who slipped away while everyone mourned. Boys and girls clustered together in front of the Virgin Mary, Father Alexander telling them to breathe, breathe, breathe. Our religion teacher in the fifth grade was a tall old man named Mr. Griffin whose butt crack showed whenever he bent over because he couldn't find pants long enough to fit his legs. The theme for religion that year was family life, and sometime in November we learned about death. Kimberly's abuela had died the year before, so she knew what Mr. Griffin was talking about, but none of the rest of us did. Dennis V. spent most of the lesson flicking crumbled scraps of paper at Dennis C. who flicked them back, and I spent most of the lesson watching them. Then Jerry, who liked Kimberly at the time and only sat next to me because he used to sit next to Dennis V. and Mr. Griffin separated them for talking too much, leaned over to me and said, I hope God lets me die when I'm happy. On a Sunday morning, on a fiesta weekend, I sat in the tail of the F and leaned my head against the door of the 7th grade classroom. Jerry's desk was in there. I wondered what would happen to his books, the bag of Oreos hiding behind his pencil case, his worn mini stapler everyone borrowed because it had blue staples. The cool of the concrete seeped through my dark denim jeans, and I tucked my arms beneath my thighs, pulling my legs in closer. I thought of the note from Jerry, his bumpy black scrawl in my red ink reply, wedged between the pages of my religion workbook. My eyes were closed, but I opened them in time to see the Ferris wheel wake up. It was the first orbit of the day and I watched as empty car after empty car replaced each other at the top until two bodies with swinging legs appeared in a red one. I might have imagined it, but I think they kissed. Thank you so much to Sheila for joining us today. If you'd like to hear more from Sheila, you can follow her on Twitter, at Lucy's Bookshelf. If you have any questions, or if you'd like to be featured as a writer on the show, shoot me an email at rachelg at wnyu.org. Until next time, I'm Rachel A.G. Gilman, and this has been The Right Stuff on WNYU.org. And if you're happy with yourself, then all the rest can go.